Hi, and welcome to Lady Justice, Women of the Court. On this episode, the Lady Justices share their insight on how to succeed in law school based on listener questions from law school students that we received on social media and our podcast voicemail. Hey, Lady Justices. Hey, uh, my name is Caitlin. Joining the program is special guest Carla Wong McMillan, a justice on the Georgia Supreme Court. I mean, I can tell you what I did and then I can tell you what I wish I did. Your law school questions answered. That's coming up. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Lady Justice. We are delighted that Justice Carla Wong McMillan from the Georgia Supreme Court is joining us for today's episode. Carla, thank you for being here. We're really happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really proud to be called the Lady Justice. I am Bridget McCormick from the Michigan Supreme Court. And as always, I'm happy to be joined by my friends, Rhonda Wood from the Arkansas Supreme Court and Beth Walker from the West Virginia Supreme Court. It is great to see you both as well. We're going to be talking today about law school. This is the first episode we have devoted to that topic. Um, and we thought it would be fun to find out what questions law students would like us to um, answer about law school. So we put out a call for questions and we are going to be answering um, questions that we received from law students. So thank you if you sent those in or if you called them in, I should say. Um, but before I jump to those questions, I wanted to start with some foundational information about each of our own law school experiences, just sort of big picture, um, where we went to law school, when we went to law school, if we're comfortable saying that, what we liked best about it, what was most challenging about it. Um, and I will start to get the conversation going. I went to NYU Law School and graduated in 1991. For me, what I liked best is pretty easy. I liked uh, my classmates and the clinical classes that I took. I really felt like I came alive in law school in classes where I got to um, work with professors representing um, people who really needed help. It, made, it, it gave me a purpose. A lot of law school was challenging for me, and I'll, I'll let you know that right up front before we get into this, this episode. I didn't come from a family of lawyers. I think actually a lot of us have that in common. So it really did feel like learning a new language to me. Um, and it felt a little bit to me like I was, I had a bit of a disadvantage. Like some of my classmates seemed to know that at least some amount of the language. And I felt like I was really um, uh, starting from scratch. Um, and so I, I, I did find it academically challenging. Uh, Beth, give us your law school foundation. Well, hello, Bridget, and thank you for hosting this episode. And Carla, we're so excited to have you joining us. I graduated from uh, the Ohio State University College of Law in 1990. That's what it was called then. I think now it's called Moritz. At the time, if you asked me what the best part of law school was, I would have said marrying one of my classmates, but we divorced nine years later. So in retrospect, um, the best part was probably um, my law review experience. Um, we had a great, really great group of folks um, working together on the law review, and I learned a lot. But the most, so the most challenging part for me is similar to you, Bridget you know, like Rhonda, maybe, I don't know about Carla, she'll tell us in a minute, but uh, as a first-generation lawyer, you know, the intellectual part of law school was just, it's just, it was like a truck hit me, <laughs> you know, we all, and I know this is a lot, a lot of the students who'll be listening know this, you know, you get through college, you do pretty well, you think law school is just a continuation of college, 
and it's so different and it's harder. And it took me a while to sort of uh, get my sea legs and, and get going. Um, but part of that was exciting, but it was the most challenging. Rhonda? So you guys, I was one of those students that I loved law school. Um, I could just have stayed there the rest of my life, which is probably why I went back for a while and taught, but I loved everything about it. Uh, the most challenging is I think some of you know, I went to, um, it's University of Arkansas, Bowen School of Law in Little Rock, but I was married with children. I was non-traditional. Um, I graduated in 1999. So um, I had a little bit of a, you know, gap period, but the hardest part to me was juggling that with family life and kids um, is trying to figure out, you know, the best way to study and spend the amount of time it takes to do well in law school. But the reading the cases and the Socratic method, I loved every part of that. So Carla, what do you, what was it like for you? So I graduated from the University of Georgia School of Law in 1998. And um, the best part of my law school experience was I did uh, marry my husband in, in law school and we're still married. So, uh, so that, that's been the best part. Um, and also the other relationships I've formed in law school, uh, especially now that I'm uh, on the Supreme Court and I run statewide here in Georgia, having those connections throughout the state has been very helpful. I feel like I have a friend or a colleague or a classmate some in every county here in the state. So that's been very helpful. The most challenging part is this, I have very similar experience in terms of being a first year, first generation lawyer. But I think the University of Georgia helped us quite a bit because they actually had a program for people like me. And I went to the law school a little bit early, I think about a week early, and they had several days of mock classes and you read cases and you got questioned by probably one of the most intense Socratic professors in the law school just to give you a taste of what law school was all about. And so you know, having that experience was very helpful. And so I would encourage law students who are entering law school and don't know much about it to see if their law school has a program like that, because I found it to be very, very helpful. That does sound extremely helpful. I would recommend that as well. And maybe I would recommend every law school to adopt such a program. Um, okay, I'm gonna turn to the questions that we received from students, um, which is really, really great. Yes, Justice McCormick. So our first question comes from social media and is from Latricia. And she asks, do you have recommendations for what electives to take while in law school? I'm going to start with you on this one, Rhonda. So um, I always recommend, and I think it may be because having spent enough time on the appellate bench now, um, as you have every procedure class, uh, because so many times a case is won or lost based on procedure. So I always encourage to take advanced civil procedure, advanced criminal procedure. Um, my law school, Bowen, has a federal jurisdiction course that I never thought, you know, I'd realize um, until later, the value of that was incredible. And so I, I'm a big push for procedural um, courses and making sure that 
um, if your client's going to win or lose, it's on, you know, the law and the case and the facts, not because, you know, of a procedural error. Carla, do you have recommendations? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can tell you what I did and then I can tell you what I wish I did. Um, I focused on classes that I thought would help prepare me for the bar. So that was, I think, probably a wise decision, but, um, but I wish I had branched out a little bit more. And for example, the, the clinical classes that Bridget mentioned, Georgia had that as well, but I was too scared about, you know, I wanted to take all the bar related classes that I felt like I didn't have time to take the clinics. And I, now I wish I had, uh, because I think that would have been very helpful in private practice, just to have contacts with clients and going to court. Um, I, I wish I had done that. And then my final piece of advice is to take the professor and not necessarily the class. If you have a really great professor in a, an area that you may have some interest in, that always makes the class better for me. You know, you feel like there's a lot of pressure to, to learn stuff. And there is, of course, you know, you have to take the bar exam. You're going to look at whatever practice you're looking to pursue. Um, but at the same time, a lot of law schools offer some amazing opportunities, study abroad and other things in you know, at the risk of sounding like your mother, and I suppose for some of you listening, I could be, um, do that stuff now because it's hard to do it later. Um, and so, you know, not if you're not interested in it, but if you are, take those great opportunities. You'll learn uh, a tremendous amount about life in addition to what you're learning in law school. So I agree with everything I've heard so far. Um, so you probably don't need to hear from me, but I will add one thing. I, 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 think if you're in law school right now and your law school has any courses um, focusing on the future of the profession, you know, um, Penn has a great center, Stanford has a great center. There are a number of law schools that are um, looking at the unique moment we are at in our profession and how much change has gone on in the last 18 months um, and trying to equip law students who are going to take over this profession. And I think understanding innovation, understanding data and big data systems and understanding legal tech are really, really important uh, places for, if I were in law school, I would be looking, seeking out every opportunity in, in those areas um, because all kinds of change is happening and you may as well get out in front of it and be leading it. Our next question comes from Twitter from Struggling1L Law. It pertains to first-year law students called 1Ls, and the question is, student organizations are heavily recruiting us. Do you advise 1Ls to get involved in extracurricular organizations their first year, or at what point should we? Are the legal fraternities worthwhile? Um, I'm going to add to that. Uh, tell me what clubs and extracurricular organizations you were involved in uh, in law school in case they're still around. And I'll start with you, Beth. Um, all right, I'll start with what I did and, and then answer the advice part. Um, and, you know, I put myself through law school. So um, my I needed to work. And of course, you know, there's restrictions on working or, or recommendations that you not work. But I worked as much as I was allowed to work um, because I needed to, you know, I needed to make the money. I needed to put myself through. And so that did limit involvement. But as I said, um, I got involved with law review, wrote on, or the law journal, we call it Ohio State. 
and also did moot court and learned a tremendous amount. Both of those were extremely valuable, but I didn't have the long list of extracurricular activities that I, you might've seen on my resume coming out of college. I was a lot more focused um, again, you know, because of uh, what I needed to do. And so that's how I pivot to the answer to this question, which is you need to look at your situation. And of course your, your job one is school and classwork. And especially first year, you know, it's, it's drinking from a fire hose or whatever bad analogy you want to use. And you need to assess your ability to do that and other things. And you may be a person who can do that uh, and a million other things. Um, but, and, or you may have, you know, you may be non-traditional, you may have children, you may have family responsibilities, and you just need to look at your individual situation and decide what you think is the best for you. I know, you know, organizations try to recruit and they're doing their job. They think they have something great to offer and I'm sure they do, but you are the only person who knows for sure uh, what is best for you. Carla, what did you, what did you busy yourself with outside of class in law school and what do you recommend? So uh, first year I got involved with the Christian Legal Society and that's because I have a natural interest in that and my faith is really important to me. So it was helpful to find others who shared that same viewpoint and we were able to go through law school together. I also met my husband there. So again, very helpful. Um, second year I joined the law review, uh, but I have to say, third year, I actually stepped off of law review, even though I probably could have had an editorial position. And that's because we decided to get married in the middle of third year over Christmas. And I decided that I didn't have the time to put into law review that third year. And so I, I stepped off of it. And maybe that wasn't the best decision in terms of you know promoting my resume, but it was the best decision for my personal life. And so I would encourage you to think about that as well. I had sort of a similar issue that um, you did, Beth, I had to work. I was putting myself through law school as well. I mean, I had a, I had a nice scholarship for a lot of my tuition, but, I, but living in New York was expensive. Um, and I was trying to borrow as little money as possible. So I actually worked my first year of law school as a nanny. I was a nanny. Um, I picked up this little girl every day at, she was two and a half um, at, from daycare. And then I would take care of her till her parents came home. Um, and one of her parents was a lawyer and it ended up being a really important, her mother was a lawyer. She ended up being a really important mentor to me. So it's funny how even, you know, things that you don't think are important for your future ended up being quite important. She recommended me to a faculty member at NYU to be his research assistant. He ended up being one of the most important mentors in my career. Um, and I will tell you that little girl um, did her PhD in economics at Yale and now is um, on the faculty at Columbia. So I think it's because of my babysitting. Um, but I think do activities that speak to you and don't if they don't. I mean, I kind of agree with my colleagues, like whatever it sounds like, um, you can find good community like Carla did in some organizations. And that I think is a great source of support. I think you can um, make friends. Friends are really important in law school, but I wouldn't do, do activities just because they're, they're pushing them. Um, if you're not ready, you need to figure out how much time you really have there's plenty of time to figure out what you're going to get involved in. So I would take it slow and not necessarily jump into um, anything right now because you feel pressured to. Rhonda? So I think I agree with all of you. And uh, I, 
I am probably stronger in the sense that um, I really encourage students not to really get involved in anything first semester. I think perhaps the Christian Legal Society would be the exception. And I was involved in that. I wasn't an officer, but for that, you know, it sort of relationship um, and support system. But other than that, I say, if, if you have time and you want to get a free lunch, you know, and there's a great speaker, go hear a great speaker, but try to not actively, you know, volunteer and get too involved. That first semester, I think, is all about learning how to learn the law. And, um, and then depending on, you know, how you've done first semester, if you feel like you can, you know, kind of open that up to more activities. Um, I did same thing, law review, and then I did moot court, and I loved moot court. Okay, the next question is a two-parter that was left on our voicemail, so let's play that. Um, my name is Caitlin. I'm from William H. Bowen School of Law. I'm a first year. A question that I have is, at what point do you start really worrying about uh, career opportunities and things like that? I know some first-year students have already had prior law experience, and for a first-generation um, law student and just um, not being familiar with things, I have a really... Um, I'm really scared that I'm not going to have a lot of opportunities for a job this summer because I don't have certain experiences that other students have. So maybe we can break that up and start with the topic of worrying about career opportunities. I'll start with Carla on this one. Yeah, I think that as a first year, you really should focus on trying to get the knowledge that you need to become the best lawyer you can be and not worry too much if you can help it about jobs after law school, because that will come. I know from when I was practicing with a big law firm that we really didn't look at first year law, law students um, for our clerkships, but what we did look at was to see if that those folks spent their time wisely and didn't waste their time. And so, Certainly, if you would like, you can apply for internships or other job opportunities after your uh, first year in law school. But if, if you don't get one, think about maybe taking a class or doing some observations or anything like that that will just help you with learning the law and just spend your time wisely in that respect. And I think employers later will appreciate that you tried to improve yourself in that summer. I think that's really good advice. And I um, feel like a, Carla's just done a really good, a really good job articulating what I, what I hope I was looking at when I look at applicants. It's not really about the specific thing they did in any given summer or any different, any, any given semester. It's, it's that they did something and learned from it. Right. And they, and they therefore um, had developed some skills as a result of it. I, I mean, I, 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 maybe I'm out of touch with what 1L year is like. I, don't, I teach mostly upperclassmen, but I hope it's way too early right now for people to be start, start, starting to worry about um, careers and career paths and career choices. I mean, hopefully a lot of you don't even know yet all the potential things you might like doing in the law. Um, and so my, my hope is that um, right now you can focus more on settling into school and figuring out how to how, how studying works for you in law school and building relationships with your peers and your, your faculty. And with that foundation, I think all the rest of it is easier, including uh, figuring out career choices. Rhonda, what do you think? 
So I think I'm gonna let the answer stand um, and not add, because I think both of you guys um, sort of handled it brilliantly. So I don't know if Beth wants to add anything. Nope, I'm good. <laughs> okay, and the other concern had to do with being a first generation law student with no connections and how that might impact getting a summer clerk position. Um, I know you lady justices were all first generation as well. Rhonda, what are your thoughts about that? So it's what you said that I think all of us had that in common. So, um, and then I know a lot of us talked about, we went to law school in states that weren't our home state. So, um, you know, I had no experience, no connections um, in the legal community and first generation. And, but I, I remember those days as a first year being a little intimidated by those who did. And I think perhaps all I can do is reassure that in hindsight, it didn't matter. And it really, um, employers are looking at who you are and they're looking at your academic credentials and your skills. And then I think Carla mentioned it earlier is that if you have time where you don't have, find a, you know, a six week gap where you don't have um, perhaps a legal clerking job is go volunteer for someone. Um, and I did that once I volunteered for a traffic court and just sat with the judge um, in traffic court and um, sort of got exposure because I didn't know what court was like. And if that's where I started, then you know, I started and sat with that judge. So I think you then make your own opportunities as well. So Beth, what do you think? Um, well, of course, uh, you've done a great job sort of teeing up this answer. And what I would add is, as a, you know, I was a recruiting partner at a big firm, or a big in West Virginia firm. And, you know, we did not really uh, make decisions based on connections. I mean, I think connections are really helpful as you grow your career. But I think in terms of getting that first job, getting that, you know, there, of course, some people know people and, you know, in a smaller state, there's some, but for the most part, legal employers are not really gonna make the final decision based on who you know. They're gonna base it on how you present yourself, the academic and other record you've put together, your experience, um, and focus on what you can control because if you don't have the connections, you can't make them. So excel at what you can do, which is, you know, doing well in school, making a contribution in, in an organization if you go that way and, and not worry about what you don't have because you'll develop them. Absolutely. Carla, do you want to add to that? Yeah. And the only thing I would like to add is I'm involved in an organization now, the Georgia Asian Pacific American Bar Association. And it wasn't around when I was in law school, it was just newly formed. Um, but we now have a, a young lawyers and law student division. And I wish we had that then because we actually, those of us on the other side now, we actually want to meet law students. And, and they're often local chapters at the law schools. And that's just great to make those kind of networking relationships because we'll host cocktail parties or, you know, what, what not, where the lawyers will go to the law school and just meet law students. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have the connections, you can definitely make them. Just try to join an organization where there are other lawyers or judges are going to be and just start a conversation. 
The next question is from Caitlin as well. And here is a follow-up question that she left on our voicemail. Hey, um, it's Caitlin again. Um, I actually have another question for you guys. So I just actually had my first quiz in contract law today. And I was wondering, um, I was prepared for it. I studied for it. I understood the concept. But when it came to the nuanced differences in the multiple choice, I really struggled with discernment. Um, I didn't realize until after the fact that I had done badly. So I was wondering how do I reconcile and like how do I fix that problem? Because it's not that I don't know the information. Um, I know there's probably keywords and certain tactics and I was wondering mainly about that. And I think Beth, you are our contracts expert. So this one starts with you. Well, uh, I don't know about that, but I love the opportunity to kick this answer off because I think... I'm going to challenge our question asker uh, to look at this a little differently and start off by saying, who gets to have a quiz in contracts? That's fantastic. I mean, many of us went to law school and you had a final exam and that was it. I had one grade for contracts for two semesters and you know, not to talk about you know walking both ways, 10 miles in the snowstorm, but that is a great opportunity for you to learn in having had the opportunity to take a quiz. So what I would do if I were in your shoes is take a breath, first of all, breathe, and then go through the quiz and figure it out, figure out which ones you didn't get and try to reason your way through them and figure out you know, how you could have looked at it differently. If you have the opportunity, speak to the professor um, and say, you know, I'm, I'm looking to learn from this experience. So can you help me reason through questions seven and 12 or whatever they are? It is a perfect opportunity for you to you know, get your bearings a little bit. And I'm, I'm thrilled that you, you know, all of us can learn a lot from a little bit of adversity. And so um, even though you're not happy, our question asker, you're not happy about what happened. I think it's a great opportunity to learn something. Carla, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I'll just share a personal story because I didn't have quizzes in law school either, but we had a exam at the end of the first semester and then the exam, a final exam. And then you got a grade at the at the end of the year for basically the whole year. And I, I can remember my first civil procedure exam. I didn't do well. I got kind of a middle grade. And what I decided to do was I found the person who got the highest grade on that exam. And we started studying together and it helped. I, I was able to pull up the grade for the next next go around. So, you know, I would take it as a learning experience. All of us have had to go through that in law school and just figure out a way to figure out that professor and the test and, and what that professor is looking for. And maybe there's another student who can help you or you can look at old tests or things like that. But you can do it. You just have to just, just take a look around and 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 try to um, try to figure all this out with them with the resources I'm sure that you have available to you. I, I don't have a whole lot to add, but I I have definitely had that same experience. So it might be useful just for listeners to know that you know we all have figured out uh, how to have happy, successful careers, and um, not every law school class came easily to any of us. I don't think. Um, for me, it wasn't contracts; it was civil procedure. I really felt like I needed somebody to you know, give me remedial help with civil procedure, which is kind of what I ended up doing. Um, similar to what Carla suggested, I just, that was one where studying with other people made a difference to me because I had an easier time telling them that I 
did not understand a sentence I was reading, reading than I did telling the professor. That just was a little, it was a bridge too far for me to say to the professor, I really don't know what this sentence means. But it was not a bridge too far to say that to uh, people I had become friends with. So I think peers can be helpful when when the material is, is sticky. Another thing I want to say is not every class is for every every law student, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I had some classes that I did extremely well in and some that mm, pretty mediocre and that's okay. That's okay too. Rhonda, do you have anything to add? The only thing I would add is, um, is taking sort of my teaching experience in the law school and, um, and now even as an adjunct is, is try not to let the professor that sort of be intimidating is go talk to the professor. When students came in and generally were concerned, not just trying to get me to raise their grade, <laughs> you know, on an on a essay, but really said, you know, I'm disappointed with where I am. I don't really know, you know, I'm having trouble discerning perhaps, um, you know, the choices. I get it down to two choices and a multiple choice and I have trouble. Then I mean, I loved that when the students came in and, and talked to me and that I could spend that time with them if, you know, that showed me that they were really trying. And that's what I was getting paid to do, right, is teach them and help them in that process. So, and I think, too, the student has more, you have, to the student, you have more capability than you think because you obviously succeeded on the LSAT discerning, you know, choices, multiple choices. So I think you probably have the ability and you just sort of have to learn from it and go forward. And the final question was also left on our voicemail by Miranda. Hey, Lady Justices, could you talk about whether you have term law clerks? And if so, how many you have when your court started to hire term clerks and how you mentor them? Thanks. I'll get started on, on, on answering this one. I do hire term clerks. Um, it, at the Michigan Supreme Court, we have four clerks and we have we each have a senior clerk and then three term clerks. And I rotate those term clerks, they each serve two-year terms, so I'm always hiring one new one. I have a brand new clerk who just started a couple of weeks ago, and so I am always hiring one new clerk. That's sort of my, my hiring process. And the mentoring relationship, I think, on state Supreme Court, so I, I bet this is generally true, is pretty close um, because, especially because we're not a trial court, we spend a lot of time um, in front of our computers and with our staff reading, thinking, writing, talking through hard issues. And so there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction between me and my clerks. And there's a lot of specific mentoring about research and writing and thinking about the legal questions. Uh, but I also hope that my clerks view me as um, someone they can talk about what comes next with and what they want to do over the course of their career. And all of my former clerks stay in touch with me and we get together once a year. And I really appreciate those relationships. They're pretty wonderful. Rhonda? So we have two clerks for each justice at the Arkansas Supreme Court. And I have typically um, had one permanent and then one that was a term rotating the same thing sort of every two years, uh, that position. Um, sometimes my permanent clerk has left and then my rotating became the permanent and then I hired someone. Um, and generally it's the term starts in August. Usually I probably have made that decision, the hiring decision in November, the prior year. Uh, I will say that, you know, sometimes it changes because I know, you know, a year and a half ago, my, one of my term clerks had an opportunity to go clerk for a new federal judge. And so, um, 
I let him leave early and said, go take that opportunity. And so then I was sort of hiring off schedule. So sometimes there's opportunities that just come up. And so even if we're hiring term clerks, uh, doesn't mean that there's not openings that you shouldn't pursue as a student and look for just in case there's something available. Carla? Yeah, so on the Georgia Supreme Court, I have two permanent full-time staff attorneys and I have one term clerk that generally serves for a year. And I normally hire that person sometime in the second semester of their second year for them to start after they graduate. They usually start in August. I just had one start recently. And I agree wholeheartedly with, wholeheartedly with Bridget and Rhonda about um, working with the term clerks. And it's a, it's a very close relationship though. It was challenging when I started on the Supreme Court because I started in April of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. So I actually did not meet my term clerk in person for almost a year. We worked together by Zoom, but now I have my, my, my newest term clerk in person. And um, in addition to all the work that we do together on opinions, I like to also give them networking opportunities because I'm plugged into the community. And whenever I, I, I speak to a group of lawyers or maybe there's some sort of event, I like to invite my term clerks out with me so they can meet lawyers as well if that's what they want to do. And most of them do want to get out of the office and meet others. So hopefully with the COVID will die down and I'll have more opportunities to do that with my ter current term clerk. But I would encourage you if you're a term clerk to, to ask your judge to, to do that so you can start making connections in the community for your career after your clerkship. So, so my folks um, are kind of the opposite of Bridget. I have one term clerk and three longer term permanent slash permanent staff attorneys. And I am the only one of the five justices who uses a term clerk. Um, when I arrived, no one did. And so I started the practice and I'm hoping to go to two, although, you know, obviously I have great staff, so I don't want them to go anywhere. But um, if, if someone would decide to leave, I'd probably go with two term clerks and I'm trying desperately to convince our justices to do it because I think it is a wonderful opportunity to learn about how a court works from the inside. When you talk to uh, judges, particularly women, many of them have had a, a mentoring opportunity with a judge or someone who got them to see what it's like to, to do this job. And I think that's incredibly important. And so even though I only have one term clerk and I hire that person about a year out, it's a two-year term, uh, two-year position. So I hired my current term clerk who just got started about a year ago or a little, little less than a year ago. But I'm also um, trying to expand our court's externship program to allow law students to come and work uh, for credit at the College of Law. We have one law school in West Virginia. I think it's just really great, you know, just, just to see how it works. And, I, and I'm as open and transparent about all of our processes of the court as I can so that they can really get an understanding of what we do. So I had one final question for you all, just because I'm thinking about this myself all the time and um, interested in what my smart friends think. I, I, we've talked in, in many of our conversations about how much change we've seen in courts and our profession over the last 18 months as a result of the pandemic. What do you, what do you think 
law schools could do to better prepare graduates for a changing profession or um, law students who are, you know, interested in, in, in that topic? Um, what could they do to better prepare themselves given this sort of time of change and growth? Um, and I'm interested in, in what you guys think about that topic, if you think about it. Um, Carla, can I start with you? Sure. I mean, I think law schools should try to think about having more opportunities like apprenticeships and other different things like that for law students to engage in the practice of law before uh, they graduate. In Georgia, we do have, a, I think it's a second year and third year practice act where you can, as a law student, practice under the supervision of uh, a lawyer. And for example, during COVID, we actually had, um, I think it was a habeas case that the petitioner was originally pro se, and we asked the law schools if they would be interested in representing this defendant uh, because we felt like he had, you know, there was an issue there. And one of the law schools stepped up and we had a very fine argument by one of the law students and it was a great opportunity and also it was by Zoom. And so they got to learn how to do an argument by Zoom, which I do believe and I, I do hope is part of the wave of the future as courts get more and more efficient in holding those kinds of uh, hearings online instead of having to call people in the court all the time for, for shorter hearings. So I, I hope that was a great opportunity for that student. It was a great uh, experience for us. And I think law schools can do more of that. And that would be very helpful. Rhonda? So, and I agree. I, I also think that we have to, you know, law schools need to focus more on technology and teaching technology skills, you know, whether that's litigation skills, how you use, you know, word, not word perfect, <laughs> but how you, you know, just craft a document and compare all those little things that you don't learn, right? That I didn't. And then even with trial advocacy that you're making sure you're including the technology part of that. I think that's part of the practice. And then the other thing is more opportunities in developing skills to work with self-represented litigants. I think that a lot of times law students, um, you're always thinking that you're going to have an attorney on the other side, but we know that a lot of times you're going to have a self-represented litigant on the other side and knowing sort of how to work with them. It's a little bit different, right? Doing discovery with self-represented litigants and um, sort of teaching that skills, uh, those skills. Um, I couldn't fit legal clinics in my calendar at school. And so I didn't take advantage of that, but I think learning those skills are, are just really important, even if they're not in a clinic setting. I, I think Rhonda and Carly made some great uh, observations and I agree with every single one of them. I think it's great advice. And so I'm going to take a slight left turn and highlight another issue that worries me. And um, I think the pandemic has demonstrated sort of for many professionals, especially young, younger, newer professionals, you know, sort of the economic instability that happened uh, when things started to shut down. And, you know, is, do I still have my job? Do I don't have my job? Do I, you know, what is the situation? And I remain gravely concerned about the amount of student debt that law students are accumulating. And I would certainly hope that law schools as we move forward, and it's not directly related to the pandemic, but I think it's a fine time to have the conversation that 
um, help students navigate their way through it financially. Um, you know, everybody's a grown up and they can take on whatever debt they want. But I think many students graduate with a mountain of debt and not a lot of guidance about how to navigate their way through it. And so I hope that all of this uh, maybe can bring that conversation forward too. I think that's really important and has to be part of what, what we're thinking about as we build whatever the next generation of, I think, law school should look like. I, I think that's a really critical point that I, 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 I've been thinking about the other sort of major market failure, which I view as 80% of Americans can't afford lawyers and not just the lowest income. I mean, you know, your neighbors can't afford lawyers to figure out how to handle most of their legal problems. And that's just an enormous market failure. And so I, I, I don't know what it is we need to be teaching innovation, creativity, certainly uh, tech and um, data and, uh, but figuring out how to do it in a way that allows people to come through without that kind of debt has to be part of the problem. I mean, it, it, I, I guess law schools could become just this like little niche area that produces bespoke lawyers for the tiny percent of like people who can afford those bespoke lawyers. But if we care about the rule of law, we want to address the larger problem of, you know, so many people not being able to use lawyers. So how can we help them? So I hope law schools can figure out that whoever's going to be figuring this out. Okay, we're gonna to turn to our lightning round. Um, Carla, in the lightning round, we just ask um, a question and we go through um, and give a quick answer to each of these questions. Um, so first thing that comes to mind. Okay, first question. What class did you do the worst in, in law school? Beth. Sadly, considering my current job, civil procedure, C. <laughs> Rhonda. Property, I hated property. <laughs> Carla. Criminal law. And for me, it was civil procedure, my friend. I am with you. It was rough. Um, question number two, what class did you do the best in in law school? Rhonda. I think Beth knows what's coming is civil procedure. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Carla. So it's a tie between con law and contracts, but it was the same professor. So I figured it out, I guess. My best class was a seminar called Child, Parent, and State. And it was, uh, it, it was a class about the, the way the law regulates families. And I found it fascinating. And it showed when I finally took the exam. Beth. Mine was professional responsibility. Well, that's a good one. Um, okay. OCI or no OCI? Did you do on-campus interviewing for law firms um, or not, Carla? I did, but ended up going, to, didn't take a job with either one of them <laughs> eventually. What did, where did you take a job instead? Sorry, I'm detouring from lightning. So I, I went to OCI and I, I, I clerked for a firm in North Carolina and then a firm in Texas. And then I ended up going back to Atlanta and taking a job with another firm because I got married and those other places didn't work for me anymore. I skipped it, um, which felt uh, really rebellious at the time. I, but, I, but I knew I wanted to work as a public defender. So I just thought I didn't need to spend any time in summers in law firms. So I just completely skipped it, which gave my, made my summers longer than everybody else's. So I had that going for me. Beth. I did on-campus interviewing for uh, post-second year clerkships, which I did, but ultimately 
got the job for the law firm for whom I worked for 22 years by dropping my resume in a box. Rhonda. And I'll say that I did on-campus interviews, but the one clerkship that was my favorite, I didn't qualify to do the on-campus interview um, at the first um, go-round. And so I showed up at their office and with my resume and I got the job anyway, so. Excellent, okay. Favorite law school meal. Um, and I, as I said, I went to NYU Law School in Greenwich Village. So there was so much good food and even good inexpensive food all around the law school. Um, and there was a really great Thai restaurant that's not there anymore, but that was my favorite meal. And I would have lunch there about once a week with somebody, Beth. So directly across from the law school on High Street was uh, Buffalo Wild Wings before they condensed their name and 10 cent wing night uh, was a highlight. Rhonda. Community Bakery, which in Little Rock, everybody will know what that is, but um, homemade soup, sandwiches, and best of all desserts. Carla. So there are a bunch of restaurants in downtown Athens, but my favorite lunch was the Euro Place. Excellent. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and thanks for the excellent questions. Law school goes by extremely quickly. Make sure you take advantage of the opportunities that interest you, not the ones that don't. Build good relationships with your peers and your faculty and try and have some fun. It was great to see all of you, my friends. Um, I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Lady Justice, Women of the Court. To learn more about this podcast, access past episodes, and find links to our social media, visit ladyjusticepod.com. There you can also record a voice message with a question or comment. The opinions expressed on the program are the justices alone and not necessarily those of their respective courts. Until next time.